listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and our ushers are coming, di- coming down the aisle with Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you today, I encourage you to just raise your hand, and they would be more than happy to leave that, uh, pass that Bible to you. And if you don't have a Bible at home that you are able to use on a regular basis, please take that home with you as our gift to you. We believe there's power in the name of Jesus, but there's power in the Word of God, which is all about Jesus. And so you just raise your hand. They also have kids' packs for the kids to follow along and to be able to keep themselves somewhat busy as they uh, are in the service here with us. So kids, you need to be listening because some of this stuff, you're going to be able to understand it. And there's going to be some important things we're going to say to your parents and to the grown-ups here. But these important things we're going to be talking about, it's important for you too. And so I encourage you to listen along as we follow in God's Word, as we dig into God's Word, as we continue on in in our series in this upside-down living kingdom, that uh, this life in the kingdom, what does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom of, of, of Christ, the kingdom of God? And so we find this in Matthew chapter 5. We hear a lot in the news these days uh, this one term that has become fairly popularized in, in our culture, and it is the word fake news. It is something we haven't heard. It's become rather popularized in the last number of years, ever since especially the U.S. presidential elections in 2016. Fake news is also referred to or considered yellow journalism that is based on sensationalism, crude exaggeration, propaganda that consists of deliberate disinformation or hoaxes that are spread through traditional news sources as well as through social media. And we have heard and we have seen so much of this go on on a daily basis as soon as you turn on social media or any sort of check any sort of news sources that you may have even if you use traditional newsprint still in these days. And we see the chaos that, that it causes a person to, to, to actually doubt and question virtually everything you hear, and you start to wonder, what is actually true? What is really true in life? Can we know the truth? And, and, and so oftentimes, we will listen to things in the news, and from a certain bent, and, and, and it's coming from a certain persuasion, and at times, we don't know where that bent or that persuasion is actually coming from, and so you wonder, where is the truth? What is the truth? Honestly, I, I think that at times that if you just shake your head at things, that sometimes you just have to laugh at some of it that's going on as well, um, and, and to enjoy maybe at times some fake news in the right places, and, and I think there's room for that, and, and one of the places I find that is the Babylon Bee. I'm not sure if any of you are aware of this. You may want to check it out. It's on social media sites as well as it's a whole website. It's basically, th- th- their term is the Babylon Bee, your trusted source for Christian news satire. And so it's not true news reporting. It is taking what is actually kind of going on in the news, in the world, kind of in Christian circles, as well as in politics and life in in general. And it pokes some fun, some humor, some irony at it, uh, taking some of the top news stories of the day or just some of the things that are just kind of silly or that go on in everyday life. Because sometimes I believe that we just need to have a good laugh. Don't you agree that sometimes laughter is one of the best medicines for us and to be able to do this? And so I regularly uh, 
consult the Babylon Bee or it shows up in my, my, in my social media feeds. And, and I'm just going to share with you some of my favorite ones because they're just so funny. I mean, first of all, I mean, this one I think just came in the last week or so. Um, this is from a mother. Mother of four ready to lecture any random stranger claiming to be tired. <laughs> It's like, you're not tired, I'm tired, you know, and I just, okay. And, and then as you click on that, you actually find more details about, about the news article that they're giving. Or here's another one. Um, this one is, is very funny too. Man struck dead for bearing false witness after clicking, I have read and accepted these terms and conditions. You know, like, isn't that true? Like, you know, have you ever gone through all the different stuff? You're signing a contract, you're doing whatever, the terms and conditions, or you're doing it online, you know, in order to accept some website or accept something, and it's like, I have agreed, I've read all, like, no, you haven't. You know, so he's bearing false witness, God's striking him dead. Uh, that didn't happen. This is satire, okay? Now, this one is one of my all-time favorites, because I could so see it happening. All right? So Ken Ham, he is the big creation science guy, right? Big creation science guy. Ejected from theater for yelling, wrong, every time. Jurassic World actors say 65 million years. Like, that's just the best, right? You know, um, uh, another one that I don't have a picture for, but again, it, it kind of makes me giggle, especially I grew up in this area. It says, local youth group has been singing, I could sing of your love forever since 1999. <laughs> you know, just a continuous play of that song. But then it's kind of sad when satire actually starts to become reality. And when things like this that you just kind of laugh and giggle about and just kind of say, you know, that's just so crazy, actually becomes real. Look at this last one. It says, man identifies as a 20, 20 years younger in order to land youth pastor job. So you kind of think, okay, yeah, that's pretty funny. You know, like I can be cool and hip and trendy, so I'll identify as 20 years younger. Did you hear about the guy in Holland this week? The 69-year-old man who is going, is, is mounting a legal battle in, in order to fight the government to allow his age on his birth certificate be changed to 20 years younger. And so he's 69, but he wants to be identified by birth certificate as a 49-year-old. And he argues that people are allowed to change their genders. He says, I just want to be able to change my name. And, and he, he believes that, uh, and I listened to an interview uh, of this guy this past week, and he says, I believe that your mind and your body become one. And the doctors have told me I have a body of a, late, a guy in his late 40s, so I'm going with the age 49, and I believe if my mind is telling me I'm 49, that my body will be, and so I want to be 49 and not 69. I mean, it's ludicrous, it's crazy, and yet it's a reality of what's going on. We live in what is being called, uh, I mean, you just shake your head and say, can this really be happening? Is this really true? Can, can this really uh, be taking place in society? And what we live, is, as sociologists would describe it, we live in a post-truth culture. Post-truth culture where truth just is, is so irrelevant and at times felt to almost be unnecessary. We don't know what to believe anymore. From fake news to biased news coverage, people are denying their age, their sexual orientation. In fact, truth is just being crucified all over the place. Political promises are being forgotten once a government is elected. Oaths and contracts are broken. Earlier, years ago, someone's handshake or, or someone's signature or someone's word actually meant something. Today, it almost means very, very little to the large segment of our society. 
we lie or we don't keep our word with no conviction and after a little while it just becomes a normal part of our lives. We don't even realize at times when we're lying. We're lying to people around us. We can lie to, in fact, even at times we even in the end start believing our own lies. We're lying to ourselves. And we've all done it. Every one of us. We're all guilty of this. Every one of us on the planet at one time or another or currently is an Oscar-winning liar. Romans 3, verse 10 to 13 declares us as so. It says, there is none righteous, no, not one. And then it even goes on in verse 12. It says, all have turned away. And then verse 13, it says, their tongues practice deceit. And you don't have to teach a young child to lie when they've done something wrong. It just comes so naturally. It's part of our sinful, fleshly nature. And we tell the truth at times, but we don't maybe necessarily tell the whole truth. We just tell part of the truth to make ourselves look a little bit better. I mean, come on, who, who hasn't done this before? Um, sent a text message and say, you know, I'm on my way. But in reality, you're still five minutes from actually walking out the door. And you go, well, technically, I was on my way because I was getting ready. But you led that person to believe you're actually in your car already driving to your destination. Uh, we do little things like that and, and, and don't even think much about it anymore. Um, we, we lie about all kinds of different things. Um, we leave vital information out of a sale that we're making uh, in our jobs. A number of years ago when I was in the business uh, world here in Kelowna trying to make some sales and, and we were encouraged not to say certain things to certain clients because it would mean that we wouldn't get a sale. That's the reason why I didn't last in that sales job very much because we would have become very, very poor as a family because I just couldn't do that. I had to tell the whole truth and, and, and desired to tell nothing but the truth and that meant that a lot of the sales jobs or sales calls that I made were in vain. Um, we lie about our weight, or our marks at school, or how big that fish really was, um, or the size of our church. I mean, pastors uh, do that oftentimes about the attendance or baptisms or their budget, and, but, but it's not a lie. In pastor, pastors can do that. We just call it that speaking evangelistically. You know, and, and so we find little ways to get around, you know, these little fibs, these little lies, these, these things that, you know, in, in fact, we call them fibs, you know, like it wasn't that big of a deal, or little white lies. You know, well, what's the difference between a black lie and a white lie? Like, you know, what's the differentiation? But yet we think white lies are okay. We, or we say things in a certain way that exonerates us or, or, or kind of gets us off the hook or say things in such a way that it makes us look better and cast a shadow of disgust or shame or guilt on someone else. You ever done that? Guilty, Your Honor. We tell the truth, but just sometimes not the whole truth. Truth is being crucified. It's hard to find these days. But truth was also being found in very short supply in Jesus' day as well. And that's where we turn to here in Matthew chapter 5, in the greatest sermon ever spoken. Jesus was upping the standard when it comes to our lives and to our words and to what we say, that we would be people who say what we mean and mean what we say. This is something that Jesus is after in our lives, and, and this is something that is important to be in a part of kingdom citizens. 
In Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were kind of setting the standard, setting the bar, the example for the people by adding extra words, including making certain oaths or vows in order to prove their credibility. It's very much like today when you're in a conversation with someone and they're not believing you or you're trying to get your point across and you say, I swear on my mother's grave. Or I swear on my grandmother's grave, because my mother's still alive, but I swear on my grandmother's grave, or, or you know, I, um, as, as God is my witness, I want, you know, and, and so they were doing that sort of thing then, using words, adding words to add to the credibility of what they were saying or what they were trying to get across. They were twisting the original purpose and the meaning of making oaths and vows that were outlined in the Old Testament that we'll see in a, in a few moments here, using it to accommodate their own deceitfulness and to skirt the issue of actually being considered being wrong or lying. That it wasn't that big of a deal. To break a vow in God's name was a sin, but to break a vow in someone else's name wasn't that big of a deal. So here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is confronting this, and he addresses the issue of integrity. He wants, he desires, he requires his disciples, his followers, to be people who say what they mean and mean what they say. And so we see in verse 33, this is where we're going to pick it up here in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more than this comes from evil. And so today we're going to see from this passage three powerful statements that Jesus makes regarding his children, his followers being people of truth, people who keep their word, people who say what they mean and me mean what they say. And so I encourage you to write down these three statements as we look at them here this morning. The first one is God wants his people to tell the truth. The big bulk of what Jesus is getting at is tell the truth. When you look at the Old Testament, we see this not just here what Jesus is stating, that this is a whole new standard. This has been God's standard right from the beginning. And you look at the Old Testament, vows and oaths were encouraged for people to make these vows and, and, and oaths in order to be people who would commit to and keep their word, to be people of truth. And once an oath and a vow were, were made, they were never to be broken. They were to be kept is a very, very serious matter. Jesus in verse 33, so he's referring right here in verse 33, as you look there in, in, in the word of God, uh, he's referring to the Old Testament uh, here, a number of different places where he says uh, that will be stated and these verses will appear in a moment. But here's, he, Jesus is summarizing the Old Testament. Again, you have heard it said, heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Jesus is taking and referencing passages like Leviticus 19. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Or in Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. 
He shall be or he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. He wants us to keep our word, to say what we mean and mean what we say. He wants us to be people of truth, people of integrity. Now, again, in Jesus' days, we heard last week how there were certain rabbis, not all, but certain rabbis that practiced uh, different ideas and different standards when it came to this. And so they kind of came up, and there's a whole section in the Mishnah, which is ancient Jewish writings, a collection of, of writings just kind of giving us a great view into the culture of that day. And so there were the ancient writings, and, and there was a whole area devoted to vows and oaths and, 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 and binding oaths and non-binding oaths. And so basically what they were doing was making a provision for dishonesty. Basically they were making provision, you know, even today how sometimes people say, you know, um, you know I swear scouts honor. Or as I've already mentioned, I swear, I swear uh, on my grandmother's grave or different things like that. Um, they were making provisions just trying and, and using words to boost at times their dishonesty. Even Jesus in Matthew 23, you may want to just write down that reference, Matthew 23 in verses 16 to 22, he addresses this even in greater detail with the Pharisees because he's even poking at, he, he's saying, okay, so you swear on the temple and it's not a binding oath, but then you swear on the gold of the temple and that is a binding oath. So they had binding oaths and non-binding oaths or, 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 or another one was that you, you know, swear on the altar that's not a binding oath, but if you swear on the sacrifice on the altar, that is a binding oath. And so you could swear on someone's beard, you could uh, swear on your health, on, on, you know, just various kind of things were outlined of, of different uh, vows and, and oaths that a person could make. What was going on is basically, I love the way one commentator put it this week uh, uh, that I read, what was going on was a profound spiritual schizophrenia. I'm not telling the truth, but I'm not really lying. You don't know what's going on. They were convincing themselves that basically it was okay to lie. It's equivalent to what all kids have done. And I bet you they're even doing it today. I did it, and I'm sure my parents did it, is you go and you tell a lie, or you say something to someone, and you find out it's a lie, but then what do they say? It doesn't count because I cross my fingers. My fingers were crossed. My hands were in my pocket when I said that, and, and my fingers were crossed, and so it didn't count. Not a lie. No, mom, you can't get mad at me because my fingers are crossed. It didn't count. They were basically doing that sort of a thing. I'll give my word, but hey, it, fingers are crossed. Oh, that wasn't a binding vow. I'm, I'm off the hook. I don't have... They, and Jesus is saying, just stop looking for loopholes. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Be a person of integrity. And look what Jesus says in verse 34. He says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus is saying, you think you're getting away with all of your oaths and, you know, binding oaths and non-binding oaths just because you're not using the name of God. And he's reminding them, everything belongs to God. Everything. He is the creator of all things. So you can swear by the earth and think you're not swearing by God, but God created the earth. 
You can swear by Jerusalem, but it is the holy city of whose? Of God. You can swear on a person's life, but that person's life is a creation of God. So any kind of vow, any kind of oath you're making, it's serious. And you're making, because God is in all things, the earth is God's footstool. He reminds us. And then he even says, oh, and your hair? I haven't control that. You know God controls your hair? Some of you, it's not very much. Um, you know, and, and, and sometimes, um, or next time, ladies, and if there are men here that color, the next time that you go into see your hairdresser and you're uh, sitting in the chair, I encourage you to say this to your hairdresser. Now, this was God's idea. Now, change it, please. You know, and, and basically, that's what we're doing. I mean, even our hair color has been chosen by God. And, and so if you don't like it, take issue with him or go ahead and change it. But what will happen? It will just turn back to the original color he gave you or is giving you. Yeah, you have to kind of get over that when you get to my age. It, it becomes, I remember when I first started, ooh, you're getting some gray hairs. I seriously, I would sit in, in, in front of the mirror and I would pull out the gray hairs because I didn't want to be identified as a person who was aging, you know, and <laughs> I'd be pretty much bald. Uh, I have a whole other story about having to pull things out of your hair. Uh, anyways, we won't go there right now, maybe later. Um, everything belongs to God. The earth belongs to God. The people around us belong to God. Even our hair color belongs to God. So don't swear on any of that. It all belongs to him. And so when you think that you're breaking your word or lying or bearing false witness and because you didn't use the name of God, you didn't swear using God's name that you're, you're off the hook, you're wrong. God's saying, be people of truth. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Let's be people of integrity. The second thing we see here in this passage, the second statement about truth, about being people of truth, is that God is truth and the devil is a liar. Look at it, the last part of verse 37. It says, anything more than this comes from evil. The small group study this past week, encourage you if you're not in a small group, join a small group. You can sign up again online or you can speak to um, some others that are uh, leading small groups. If you, know, if you know who they are, be a part of a small group. We're, we're looking at transformational truths. We're building the foundation. We're, we're going through the, uh, this past week the attributes of God. And one of the things we saw in one of the attributes of God through our study together is that one of his attributes is that of him being full of truth. He's a God of truthfulness. And Jeremiah 10, verse 10 reminds us the Lord, our God, is the true God. Numbers 23, 19 says that we are, reminds us that we can count on God to be faithful and true to all of his promises. God is a truthful God. He keeps his word. He keeps his promise. What he says he will do, he will do. But he says what will happen will happen because God is the God of truth. His knowledge, his word, it's true. It's the final standard. It is the final and the ultimate standard of truth. And once God says something, we can count on him to keep his word. He is faithful to all of his promises. So God is truth. And here we see that the devil is a liar. Anything other than the truth is about the evil one. It is about the devil. And John 8, 44, I encourage you to write down that passage. Take a look at that this week. Jesus says that the devil is the father of lies. Where are the lies coming from? It's coming from the devil. He is the father. He's the originator of lies. It says there's no truth found in him. He's a murderer from the beginning. No truth found in him. 
Lying is his native language. Truth sets us free. Lying creates bondage. You tell one lie, you need to tell another lie to back up that lie, and then another one, and then as time goes on, you tell another one, and next thing you know, you don't even know what's true anymore. Be people of truth to say what we mean, mean what we say. When we lie, we play right into the devil's hands. He gets the glory. He's the one that gets fired up. He's the one that leads us and will take us further into areas of bondage and not freedom, but bondage, because that's what lying does. It winds us up. It bounds us up. And there's no freedom in that. There's no freedom in, in wondering who's going to find out next. And so one lie is used to cover up another. Now, you might be thinking here, but really, Melden, everyone does it. Is it really that big of a deal? Yes, it is that big of a deal. It is a big deal, and encourage you to write this down. It is a big deal because God hates it. Let's go on to the next slide here. Yes, it is a big deal because God really hates lying. Lying is lying, not telling the truth, being deceitful, is listed as one of the seven things that God declares in Proverbs chapter 6 that he hates. He absolutely hates lying. And this issue of integrity in the seven things that he lists, this issue of integrity comes up twice. He mentions there a lying tongue he hates. And another thing he hates is a false witness that breathes out lies. He goes on to say these things are an abomination to him. And so it is a big deal because it's something that God hates. And after all that God has done and who he is, we don't want to be on the side of doing things and saying things that, that God says in his word so clearly that he hates. We are not to be owned by our culture and its values. And so easily we are in this area. No, as citizens of the kingdom, we are people who want to please our God. And we cling to and we run to the God of truth. We don't want to do what he says so clearly that he hates. It is a, that big of a deal, even though we might not think it is. Yes, it is a big deal because God also knows my heart. God knows the truth about me. He knows the truth about the situation that we're facing. We may think that times that we've pulled one over on our parents, on our spouses, on our teachers, on the boss, on the tax man, whoever it might be, it's just like, uh, no one's going to know. It's not that big of a deal. I can get away with this, this little shortcut, this little area here, you know, like no one's going to know. Yeah, God does. Another thing we learned this week, one of the attributes of God is that he is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. But he's present everywhere. And so he knows our heart. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, it is out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so when we tell lies... It's coming out of our mouth. It's out of the overflow of our heart. It's what's really going on in there. It's the nastiness. It's the, it's the lies. There's, there's filth in our heart. It's not just words. It's just not a big... We can't just toss it off as not being a big deal. It is a big deal. Psalm 139, God knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows it all. He knows the truth. And so let's be people of truth. God knows our heart. Yes, we are being found out. And we are even told in God's word that we will one day give an account. 
for the words that we have spoken. Thankfully, we can be forgiven and set free and not pay for the penalty that, that our lying tongues and our lying ways deserves. And so, God knows our heart. He knows the truth. And then thirdly, it is a big deal. Yes, it is, because our worship and our witness are at stake. When we lie and we live in areas of deceit in our lives, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. His power, His strength as believers in our lives is, is, is drained out, is sapped out of us. It affects our worship, our relationship with God. You ever feel like your prayers aren't going anywhere and you're just kind of going through the spiritual motions? Is it because there is deceit? There's a lack of integrity in your life. This, is, this can easily cause that. In Psalm 66 and Isaiah 59, we have different verses there where we are reminded that the sin in our heart, unconfessed sin, undealt with sin, close off God's, God's ear from our communication with him. There's a barrier in our relationship. It saps our spiritual strength. His spiritual power, his spirit's power isn't able to flow through us. It's like you're, you're outside on a hot day working and the sun is bearing down on a hot Okanagan July afternoon. And partway through the day, you're just wiped. And that's what sin and unconfessed, undealt with sin does in our lives. The spirit's power isn't flowing through us and empowering us to live the life that God calls us to live in. And we become weak and weary and, and, and tired and discouraged. But confession restores that relationship. Amen? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from almost every unrighteousness. Did I say that correct? Not at all. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All areas when we confess our sin to him. And so it's so important that we do that. But here's another thing. By telling the truth, by being, by being people of integrity, we're putting God on display. It affects our witness. Sometimes people can, can get discouraged because they think, you know, I'm sharing the gospel with people. I'm telling people about Christ. But they're not responding. They're like, well, they rejected the gospel. Maybe it's they're rejecting the gospel because they're rejecting our witness because we are not being people of truth. They see a lack of integrity. They see that we're just like everyone else when it comes to sales and when it comes to exaggerating, when it comes to the talk that comes out of our mouths. They're not rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting the example of the gospel that they're seeing in their lives. Why do I want something like that? And when we do mess up, we don't. Confess up with those around us. We just kind of continue to keep believing the lie. It affects our witness. Remember, Jesus called his followers to be salt and light in this world. Our truthfulness, our integrity, as we learned earlier in this chapter, is we're people of truth and people of integrity. It works as salt fighting against the decay in our culture. It works as light, shining the light of Christ, the light of truth, the life of integrity in our culture. And it will stand forth in a decaying and in a dark world when we are committed to being people of truth. Oh, folks, that we would be people of truth, that this would be a growing and a developing area where we desire to live for the Lord and please Him. Not perfectly, but progressively. This is where we need the Holy Spirit's power in our lives to do this, and that begins with confessing these areas in our lives. And finally, folks, here's the last statement that we see from this passage. 
about being people of truth. Simply put, basically cut to the chase. Let your yes be yes and your no be a no. That we would mean what we say and say what we mean. So from this passage, you kind of look and say, okay, so Melvin, are you saying that it's wrong for us to ever take an oath? I mean, Jesus said, kind of made it clear we're not supposed to make oaths, but what about like when you go to the courtroom where you see politicians or, you know, is it wrong to make an oath? There are some groups throughout the centuries and even, even currently today, some groups like the Anabaptists or Quakers or Moravians have taken these verses and they have refused and continue to refuse and have refused to ever take any sort of an oath, any kind of a vow. They just like, we're not going to do that. D.A. Carson, one of the commentators I was reading this week, I'm just going to quote what he had to say about this situation. He says, their zeal, talking about those who, you know, the Anabaptists or the Quakers, the Moravians in this, their zeal to conform with scripture is commendable. But it would seem that they have not interpreted the text very well. The contextual purpose that this passage was written and what Jesus is getting at is at was the importance of truthfulness in everyday speech. Don't be adding oaths and vows to everyday speech. After all, we even see in the life of Christ in Matthew 26, we see that Jesus did not refuse to reply to the high priest when he was placed under oath. When he was said, I charge you under oath by the living God. And Jesus ended up testifying that indeed he was the son of God. The apostle Paul a number of times made bold statements citing, as God is my witness when defending his apostolic pioneer ministry. See that in Romans 1 and 2 Corinthians 1. And so Jesus, he's not going to go against his word. What Jesus was getting at here, quit adding all this extra language. Just simply put, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person of your word. Apostle Paul wouldn't have gone against the teachings of Jesus and Jesus wouldn't have gone against his own teaching. Simply put, oath-taking is permitted, but it's not encouraged. You just don't need it in everyday language, in everyday conversation. I wonder today if there's areas in your life as you kind of, as we've been talking about things, if today perhaps the Holy Spirit is kind of reminding you and say, hey, there's some areas where I haven't been a person of integrity. There's an area of where I've told some lies. Would I, could I encourage you? In fact, I beseech you before God to make those things right, first of all, with God. And if you need to make it right with others, you make it right with others. I remember as a young pastor starting out in ministry, I won't go into all the details, but the Spirit of God was heavy upon me in a particular um, time in, in my life where God was exposing an area of deceitfulness in my college days. And I confessed it before God, but just the Spirit of God did not give me a freedom about that. And and made it very clear that I was to phone the Bible school professor and make, or not the professor, but the, the college president and make it right. And the fear factor in my life for those next few days, like, I'm not going to do it. No way. Not going to do it. They could pull my credentials. I might lose my job. Maybe they'll make me come and confess as a young youth pastor before the student council of some, some deceit that I had been a part of in my younger years. And, and I just thought, no. And you know what? For those next few days, it was like the power of God. It was sapped out of me. There was no joy, just a weight, a burden, and a heaviness. And you know what? I think I could have continued living like that. In fact, 
Many of us do. We live in stubbornness in those areas. But effectiveness, God's manifest presence, his power, his blessing in our lives, not there. And if the Lord is calling you to make something right with a brother where you've told a lie, you've told a lie to a sister, to a coworker, maybe to your boss, maybe there would be some way that you would have to pay it back. And I remember at the very end, I just finally said, I don't care what they do. If I lose my job, if I have to go and confess instead of the, in front of the student council, if they pull, make me do extra classes, I don't care. I want to be right with God. And wow, what freedom and release was found in that forgiveness when I called that president. Freedom. God desires to offer that to us when we are people who walk in truth. There's a freedom and enjoyment that we can enjoy and, fa- and, and, and enjoy his favor in our lives. In the next few moments, we're going to be transitioning to the Lord's Supper. And as we close uh, the message this morning, I, I recognize that the last few weeks of preaching have been some pretty heavy topics. But if Jesus included this in his message, in his sermon, these must be important things for his people. And so we're not rushing to get through the Sermon on the Mount. We're taking it and we're examining it because his words are so golden. His words bring life. But these have been some pretty tough topics and things we just can't easily overlook and diminish and and downplay and say that's not that big of a deal. It is because these are the things that hinder our worship. It hinders our witness. It hinders our joy and our effectiveness for God. But so oftentimes we, like the Pharisees, and this is what the Pharisees were doing in his day, and this is what us Pharisees are doing today, is we busy ourselves with all kinds of spiritual activity and, and, and just think, well, if I do this and I do that, I'll win favor with God, and he will look at, you know, and, and we're living this double life. We're living in areas of in, lack of integrity in our lives. We're, we're living, you know, in, in, in areas of sinfulness, and we just think, if, if I just keep busy, and if I do, if I give money, if I do this and that, God will just kind of, you know, it'll just even itself out. No, stop doing these things. Come for forgiveness. Come for healing. Come for cleansing. Find freedom and and victory in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't, wasn't then not looking today for outward activity or religious activity. He's going after the heart. And so that's why he's saying, when he was talking about murders, we looked at murder a few weeks ago, that murder, really he's saying, you know, let's go after the heart about anger. Well, that anger that is bent or, or, or pent up in your life, and even at times people may even think, oh, you're, you, that person is just the most chill person that's ever going, and inside there's rage. Even today, you're sitting here and you're angry. You're smiling, you are worshiping, and, but there's anger inside. Bitterness, unforgiveness. God can't impact. God can't infiltrate a heart that is hard in that way. Confession and forgiveness, coming to Jesus and finding forgiveness softens that heart. It cleanses the heart. So we can experience new life. We can experience his presence. You might think, well, you know, I haven't committed adultery as we talked about adultery. No, but where does adultery? He's going after the heart in the area of lust. It's about honoring our marriage vows as we saw last week. And today it's about being people of our word. And as we submit to God's word in our lives, folks, and we do what his word calls us to do in dealing with these areas, as we deal with this, and we ask him to forgive us, 
the flesh, that human flesh that, that will fail us every time, but that human flesh dies another death blow. The anger and the lust, the lies, not being people of our word. It dies when we turn away from that, when we surrender that to him, when we come to him for forgiveness and healing and cleansing. God requires perfect righteousness. God, de God desires or requires perfect holiness. And none of us are there. None of us will ever get there, no matter how awesome you think you might be. You might have a winning streak that's going pretty good for a day or two. It's not about outward compliance. It's about inner righteousness. And the only way we can be righteous, the only way we can be holy and pure is through what Jesus Christ has done by receiving that. We can't be right on our own. Our flesh will fail every time. We need a rescue. We need God to rescue us from the hopelessness. We need a new heart. We need a cleansed heart. That hardness, that callousness. He'll bring his sledgehammer and he'll start chipping away at that callous, callous heart by his spirit. Covering us by his blood. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, he will take the mess, he will take the dirt and the filth, and he will wash it away. Receive him today as your Lord and your Savior. Maybe you're a believer here today, and your heart has become entrenched with some filth, with deceitfulness, with lust, with other areas of sin, of worry. Areas of disobedience, there's a hardness that is developing. The starting point today is repentance. Confessing those areas of sin before God and turning away. It's all found only in Jesus. That God, God's son who was sent to this world, he gave his one and only son to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He paid the penalty for all of our sins all the guilt, all the shame. This is the gospel, and we need to keep reminding ourselves of this reality. His sacrifice on the cross was the atoning payment sacrifice that covers all of our sin. He is the one who conquers not only sin, but death and hell. And for all that have trusted upon him, all who confess him as Lord and Savior, willing to repent, willing to turn from our pursuits and turn to Jesus fully on, he won't reject he will redeem, he will forgive, and provide all that's necessary by his Holy Spirit for us to live in freedom. Jesus came to this world, this angry world, this lust-filled world, this promise-breaking world, filled with liars like you and me. And he doesn't come with condemnation, but offering forgiveness to wash away all of our sin. And that's why on this day we celebrate the Lord's Supper, where Jesus, just as we take time as a nation once a year to remember the sacrifice of soldiers, we remember today the ultimate sacrifice of what Jesus Christ has done. The bread that we partake, that we'll be taking in a few moments and, and, and dipping in the cup, the cup, the grape juice, a reminder of his shed blood for us, how his body was broken, how his blood was shed, the once-for-all sacrifice, so we don't have to pay the penalty, deserve the judgment, or, or experience the judgment that our sin deserves, but instead we find forgiveness 
Jesus came to this world. But we ought to examine our hearts. God's word is very clear that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, that this is for those who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And maybe today, for the first time, you're committing your life to Jesus Christ. You've never done that. You've never received him as your Lord and Savior and asked him to forgive you of your sins. But today, you've had enough. Enough of going your way and trying it all on your own. And today, it's the day to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Tell him that today. Pray that to him this morning. And then feel free to partake. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you love him. You understand what he's done, and yet examine your heart. Areas of integrity, areas of lust, areas where we haven't kept our word, areas where we're angry, ask him to forgive us. And one of the steps and one of the things that is so needed as well in the body of Christ, and this is why we're even here today, this is why we have churches around our nation, is that we need help oftentimes from community, from the body of Christ. We can't make it on our own. And some of the things we've talked about the last few weeks, even what we've talked about today, you just can't say, I've got this, I'll confess it, and I'm going to be good. No, soon we're going to find ourselves back at the same place that we've been over and over again. Keep the stuff to yourself, keep struggling on your own, and you are on a track that will end the way that the culture would expect and the the way that the devil would want. A broken, weak mess. And we need the body of Christ. There was an afternoon this week where I was just having one of those weeks or one of those afternoons. And I was frustrated. And I'm not going to go into all the detail, but to know that I'm a fallen, sinful man. Oftentimes I'm not going to try, I don't trust God the way that I ought to. And I talked to Charlotte partways through, and I just kind of like had to kind of let some stuff out with her and just, just told her where I was at. And then as I was continuing to stew, I get a phone call from a brother from another province. He just, Meldon, how are you doing? Been thinking about you. Coincidence? It's the beautiful body of Christ. Talked with him shared with him a little bit. And then I let a few other men in my life know about the struggle and just kind of gave a little vent to them and just asking them to pray because I just felt still so weak and just so needing of prayer. And it was a pit that I couldn't have gotten on, couldn't have gotten out on my own. I needed the brothers. They spoke some solid words of truth from God's word to me and they prayed for me. But I was able to bring that sin out Continue to struggle in your sin in silence. You will continue to suffer. Bring it out into the light. Share it with your small group accountability partner. Share it with myself or others after the service today. So we can stand with you, pray for you, hold you accountable. This is what the body of Christ is for. This is why we meet. This is why we gather. This is why we have small groups. This is where we desire to have fun tonight so we get to know each other in a a little bit different away. Let's pray. Father, even now, as we worship you, as we come before you, would, you examine our, would we examine our hearts? Would we allow you to do that work in us that only you can do, the forgiving of our sins as we confess? We're so thankful that you will forgive and you will cleanse.